Beatrix Potter, the tailor of Gloucester. In the time of swords and periwigs and full-skirted coats with flowered lapets, when gentlemen wore ruffles and gold-laced waistcoats of pagesoy and taffeta, there lived a tailor in Gloucester. He sat in the window of a little shop in Westgate Street, cross-legged on a table from morning till night. One bitter cold day near Christmas, the tailor began to make a coat of cherry-colored corded silk. The finest of wedding coats for the mayor of Gloucester, who is to be married on Christmas Day in the morning, he muttered to himself as he worked. The table was all littered with cherry-colored snippets. I'm sure I cannot afford to waste the smallest piece, said the tailor as he continued cutting. Two narrow breadths for not except waistcoats for mice. Now the lining. Ah, yes, just the thing. Yellow taffeta. Unnoticed. Little Mice retrieved the scraps from his workbench and carried them off. By my whiskers, I cannot remember when we had silk of such quality on these premises, exclaimed the little mouse. Oh, yellow taffeta, just what I would have chosen myself, whispered another. My poor back, sighed the tailor, but it is done. The light is fading and I am tired. All is ready to sew in the morning except for one item. I am wanting one single skin of cherry-colored twisted silk thread. The old tailor locked up his shop and shuffled home through the snow. The mice were more fortunate and did not have to brave the cold. Using secret passages and staircases behind the wooden wainscots of all the old houses in Gloucester, they could run from house to house. The tailor lived alone with his cat, whose name was Simpkin. All day long while the tailor was at work, Simpkin kept house by himself. Simpkin was also fond of the mice, but he gave them no satin for coats. Ah, Simpkin, old friend, exclaimed the tailor as he arrived home. We shall make our fortune from this coat, but I am worn to a ravel. Now, take this grout, which is our last fourpence, and buy a pinafore of bread, a a penorth of milk, and a penorth of sausages. And Simpkin remembered the tailor with the last penny of our fourpence. Buy me one penorth of cherry-colored silk. 
But do not lose the last penny, Simpkin, or I am undone and worn to a thread paper, for I have no more twist. The tailor was very tired and beginning to be ill. He sat by the hearth and talked to himself about the wonderful coat. The mayor has ordered a coat, an embroidered waistcoat, to be lined with yellow taffeta. Suddenly, interrupting him were a number of little noises coming from the dresser at the other side of the kitchen. Tip-tap, tip-tap, tip-tip-tap, tip-tap, tip-tap, tip. Now what can that be? the tailor wondered. He crossed the kitchen and stood quite still beside the dresser, listening and peering through his spectacles. Tip-tap, tip-tap. Tip tap, tip tap, tip. The tailor lifted up a teacup, which was upside down. Out stepped a little live lady mouse. Then, out from under teacups and from under bowls and basins, stepped more little mice. Good gracious, this is very peculiar, remarked the tailor. I'll wager this is all Simpkins doing, the rascal. Oh, was I wise to entrust my last fourpence to Simpkin, and was it right to let loose those mice, undoubtedly the property of Simpkin? Simpkin returned and opened the door with an angry grrr, like a cat that is vexed, for he hated the snow, and there was snow on his ears and snow in his collar at the top back of his neck. He sniffed and then looked suspiciously at the dresser. The cups and jugs had been moved. Simpkin wanted his supper of a little fat mouse. Simpkin asked the tailor anxiously, Where is my twist? Simpkin was cross with his master, and if he had been able to talk, he would have asked, Where is my mouse? He quickly hid the twist in the teapot on the dresser, and growled at the tailor. Where's my twist, Simpkin? Alack, I am undone. I am so weak, lamented the tailor, and went sadly to bed. The poor old tailor was very ill with fever, tossing and turning in his four-post bed, and still in his dreams he mumbled, No more twist, one in twenty buttonholes to be finished by noon on Saturday, and it is already Tuesday. The little mice came out again and listened to the tailor, and they took notice of the pattern of that wonderful coat. They whispered to one another about the taffeta lining and about little mouse tippets. Indeed, what should become of the cherry-colored coat? In the tailor's shop, the embroidered silk and satin lay cut out upon the table, and who should come to sew them when the windows was barred and the door was fast locked? The tailor lay ill for three days and three nights, and then it was Christmas Eve and very late at night. The moon climbed up over the roofs and chimneys. All the city of Gloucester was fast asleep under the snow. 
The cathedral clock struck twelve, and Simpkin went out into the night. For an old story tells how all the animals can talk in the night between Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. In the morning, though very few people can hear them or know what it is that they say. Simpkin wandered through the streets, feeling lonely and hungry. My master's cupboard is as empty as old Mother Hubbard's, he complained miserably. But when Simpkin turned a corner, he saw a glow of light coming from the tailor's shop. He crept up to peep into a in at the window. Inside the shop was a snipping of scissors and a snapping of thread, and little mouse voices were singing loudly and happily. Three little mice sat down to spin. Kitty passed by and she peeped in. Simpkin meowed to get in, but the door was locked. Dear me, and the key is under the tailor's pillow, mocked a little mouse seamstress gleefully. Simpkin came away from the shop and went home. There he found the poor old tailor without fever, sleeping peacefully. Then Simpkin went out, went on tiptoe and took a little parcel of silk out of the teapot. He felt quite ashamed of his badness compared with those good little mice. When the tailor awoke the next morning, the first thing which he saw upon the patchwork quilt was a skein of cherry-colored twisted silk, and beside it, the repentant Simpkin. The tailor got up and dressed and went out into the street. I have my twist, he said to himself but no more strength nor time than will serve to make me one single buttonhole. For this is Christmas Day in the morning. The mayor of Gloucester is to be married by noon. And where is his cherry-colored coat? He unlocked the door of the little shop and looked in amazement. There he had left plain cuttings of silk. Now lay the most beautiful coat and embroidered south satin waistcoat that ever were worn by a mayor of Gloucester. Everything was finished except for one single cherry-colored buttonhole, and where that buttonhole was wanting, there was pinned a scrap of paper with these words in little teeny-weeny writing, No More Twist. And from then began the luck of the tailor of Gloucester. He grew quite stout and grew quite rich. Never were seen such ruffles or such embroidered cuffs, but his buttonholes were the greatest triumph. The stitches were so neat and so small, they looked as if they had been made by little mice. And that is the end. The Tale of the Flopsy Bunnies and Mrs. Tittlemouse by Beatrix Potter. It is said that the effect of eating too much lettuce is soporific. I have never felt sleepy after eating lettuces, but then I am not a rabbit. 
they certainly had a very sporific effect upon the Flopsy Bunnies. When Benjamin Bunny grew up, he married his cousin Flopsy. They had a large family, and they were very improvident, improvident and cheerful. I do not remember the separate names of their children. They were generally called the Flopsy Bunnies. As there was not always quite enough to eat, Benjamin used to borrow cabbages from Flopsy's brother, Peter Rabbit, who kept a nursery garden. Sometimes Peter Rabbit had no cabbages to spare. When this happened, the Flopsy Bunnies went across the field to a rubbish heap in the ditch outside of Mr. McGregor's garden. Mr. McGregor's rubbish heap was a mixture. There were jam pots and paper bags and some rotten vegetables, marrows, and an old boot or two. One day, oh joy, there were a quantity of overgrown lettuces. A little wood mouse was picking over the rubbish among the jam pots. Her name was Mrs. Tittlemouse. Good afternoon, ma'am, said Benjamin Bunny. Pray excuse my youngsters. They have waited overlong for their lunch today. Then I think I shall go home, said Mrs. Tittlemouse, before I am eaten in mistake for a lettuce. There were yards and yards of sandy passages leading to storerooms and nut and seed cellars. Mrs. Tittlemouse lived alone in a bank under a hedge. Such a funny house. There was a kitchen, a parlor, a pantry, and a larder. Also, there was Mrs. Tittlemouse's bedroom, where she slept in a little box bed. Mrs. Tittlemouse was a most terribly particular little mouse, always sweeping and dusting the soft sandy floors. Sometimes a beetle lost its way in the passages. Shoo, shoo, little dirty feet, said Mrs. Tittlemouse, clattering her dustpan. And one day, a little old woman ran up and down in a red spotty cloak. Your house is on fire, Mother Ladybird. Fly away home to your children. Another day, a big fat spider came in to shelter from the rain. Beg pardon, is this not Miss Muffet's? Go away, you bold bad spider, leaving ends of cobwebs all over my nice clean house. Miss Tittlemouse bundled the spider out at a window. It was dinner time. I shall go to my furthest storeroom and fetch cherry stones and thistledown seed. So Miss Tittlemouse, said Miss Tittlemouse, suddenly round a corner she met Babbity Bumble, 
said the bumblebee in a peevish squeak, and she sidled down a side passage. Three or four other bees buzzed fiercely. I am not in the habit of letting lodgings. This is an intrusion, said Miss Tittlemouse crossly. I will have them turned out. I wonder who would help me. Mr. Benjamin Bunny, of course. Benjamin Bunny will help me drive out the tiresome bees. Miss Tittlemouse went back to the rubbish heap. The Flopsy Bunnies had simply stuffed lettuces and by degrees, one after another, they had been overcome with slumber. Benjamin was not so much overcome as his children. Before going to sleep, he was sufficiently wide awake to put a paper bag over his head to keep off the flies. The little Flopsy Bunnies slept delightfully in the warm sun. Miss Tittlemouse rustled across the paper bag and awakened Benjamin Bunny. Mr. Benjamin, I am so sorry to disturb you, but as we are both acquainted with Mr. Peter Rabbit, I thought to ask a favor of you. Oh, Mr. Benjamin, I am having such trouble with bees in my house. Bees, yes indeed, ma'am, very tiresome creatures, said Benjamin sleepily. A robin arrived with a whir of wings and a flash of red. Oh, Mr. Redbreast, said Miss Tittlemouse, could you help me with my nest of bees? Then they heard a heavy thread above their heads. Mr. McGregor was approaching. The Flopsy Bunnies. Mr. McGregor is sure to see the Flopsy Bunnies, said Miss Tittlemouse. We must wake them up. We must warn them. But it was impossible to wake the Flopsy Bunnies. The robin darted around Mr. McGregor's head, trying to distract him. Suddenly, he emptied out a sack full of lawn mowings right upon the top of the sleeping Flopsy Bunnies. Benjamin shrank down under his paper bag and Mrs. Tittlemouse hid in a jam pot. The little rabbits smiled sweetly in their sleep under the shower of grass. Mr. McGregor looked down. He saw some funny little brown tips of ears sticking up through the lawn mowings. He stared at them for some time. Presently, a fly settled on one of them and it moved. Mr. McGregor climbed down onto the rubbish heap. One, two, three, four, five, six little rabbits, said he as he dropped them into his sack. Mr. McGregor tied up the sack and left it on the wall. He went away. To, he went to put away the mowing machine. Then Miss Tittlemouse came out of her jam jar, and Je Benjamin took the paper bag off his head. They could see the sack up on the wall. Just then, Miss Flopsy Bunny, had, who had remained at home, came across the field. She looked suspiciously at the sack and wondered where everybody was. 
Mr. McGregor has caught your babies and put them in the sack, said Miss Tittlemouse. Benjamin and Flopsy were in despair. They could not undo the string. My poor babies, what shall we do, said Flopsy. But Miss Tittlemouse was a resourceful person. Why, Mrs. Tittlemouse, whatever can you be doing, said Benjamin. She was nibbling a hole in the bottom corner of the sack. The little rabbits were pulled out and pinched to wake them. Their parents stuffed the empty sack with three rotten vegetable marrows and an old black blackening brush and two decaying turnips. We'll see what old McGregor thinks about that, said Benjamin, and they all hid under a brush and watched for him. Miss Tittlemouse hastily said goodbye and went home. Mr. McGregor had come back to fetch the sack. He carried it off carefully, for he believed the Flopsy Bunnies were still sleeping peacefully inside. But if he had looked behind, he would have seen them following at a safe distance. They watched him go into his house, and then they crept up to the window to listen. Mr. McGregor threw down the sack on the stone floor. One, two, three, four, five, six little rabbits, said Mr. McGregor. The youngest, Flopsy Bunny, got upon the window seal. Mr. McGregor took hold of the sack and felt it. She untied the sack and put her hand inside. When she felt the vegetables, she became very, very angry. A rotten morrow came flying through the window and hit the youngest Flopsy Bunny. It was rather hurt. Then Benjamin and Flopsy thought it was time to go home. What a surprise awaited Mrs. Tittlemouse on her return home. When she got back to the parlor, she heard someone coughing in a fat voice, and there sat Mr. Jackson. How do you do, Mr. Jackson? Deary me, you have got very wet feet, said Mrs. Tittlemouse. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Mrs. Tittlemouse. I'll sit a while and dry myself, said Mr. Jackson. He sat and smiled, and the water dripped off his coattails. Miss Tittlemouse went around with a mop. He sat such a while that he had to be asked if he would take some dinner. First, she offered him some cherry stones. No teeth, no teeth, no teeth, mumbled Mr. Jackson, opening his mouth unnecessarily wide. He certainly had not a tooth in his head. Thistle down seed, Mr. Jackson. Tiddly widdly widdly poof poof puff, said Mr. Jackson. He blew the thistle down all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Miss Tittlemouse. But what I really, really should like would be a dish of honey. I can smell it. That's why I came to call. He rose ponderously from the table and began to look into the cupboards. Miss Tittlemouse followed with a dishcloth. Mr. Jackson 
began to walk down the passage. Indeed, indeed, you will stick fast, Mr. Jackson, said Miss Tittlemouse. They went along the sandy passage. Tiddly, whittly, buzz, whiz, whiz. He met Babbity round a corner and snapped her up and put her down again. I do not like bumblebees. They are all over bristles, said Mr. Jackson, wiping his mouth with his coat sleeve. Get out, you nasty old toad, shrieked shrieked Babbity Bumble. I shall go distracted, scalded Miss Tittlemouse. Mr. Jackson pulled out the bee's nest and ate the honey. He seemed to have no objection to stings. The bees gathered up their pollen bags and flew away, down the passages and out of the windows and doors of the little house, and away over the fields to find a quieter place for their nest. Miss Tittlemouse shut herself in the nut cellar. When Miss Tittlemouse ventured out of the nut cellar, everybody had gone away, but the untidiness was something dreadful. She went out and fetched some twigs to partly close up the front door. I will make it too small for Mr. Jackson. But she was too tired to do any more. First, she fell asleep in her chair, and then she went to bed. Will it ever be tidy again, said poor Miss Tittlemouse. Next morning, she got up very early and did a spring cleaning, which lasted a fortnight. When it was all beautifully neat and clean, she gave a party to five other mice without Mr. Jackson. He smelt the party and came up the bank, but he could not squeeze in at the door. Miss Tittlemouse had quite forgiven him, and although she had no food to suit his taste, she handed him out acorn cupfuls of honeydew through the window, and he was not at all offended. The Flopsy Bunnies did not forget Miss Tittlemouse. Next Christmas, oh, spider. Thomasina Tittlemouse got a present of enough rabbit wool to make herself a cloak and hood and a handsome muff and a pair of warm mittens. The End